Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Hey, what's up, CC? Welcome to Centerpoint. Um, if you're a longtime follower, we're glad you're here at both North and South campuses. And if you are brand new with us today, if you're our guest, I'm so glad you are with us. Uh, my name is Bryant, the lead pastor here. And actually, what we're going to talk about today on the front end before I dive into the message is so relevant to you, so I'm glad you're here. So um, last week, I said if you were at any of our services uh, that I was going to kind of give you a big announcement um, this week, and so I am. And I'm so excited about this and where God's leading us. And so if you were here a couple weeks ago, we had our Vision Sunday. We have about two of those a year. And we just lay out a reminder of why we're here as a church and where we're going in the future. And so we talked about our mission statement and some of the language around this has changed, but this has been like our heartbeat from the very beginning to exist to create a church that would tear away every unnecessary barrier for people to find life and freedom in Jesus. Like that's why we're here as a church. Basically, we wanted to create a church that would be one giant invitation for people to just go say yes to Jesus. Like that's what we want. And that really defines our vision for the future. If we're to accomplish that mission, if we're to be about that mission, it really defines what we see as our vision in terms of what the future looks like. And our vision statement is this, we wanna create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And if you've been around here, I've told this story so many times, but that started out of a very personal encounter with me at about 23 years old in a corporate environment. I was in business. I met this girl about the same age, and she was at that typical place in life at that age where you have big questions. Um, she was just trying to figure out where to go with her life. She had some regret from the past. And the thing about her life is she had grown up at some level in the church. And as we got to know each other, I was able to share the message of Jesus, but it got to a point where basically we were across the table at a cafeteria. And she said to me, I'll never forget these words. They're so defining for me, like literally in terms of my life. She said, I wanna believe what you're telling me, but my experience with the church makes it really difficult to believe. And I, I had this defining moment because I, I realized that she was hungry to experience Jesus, but there were not a lot of churches in the context of our area at the time that were reaching people like her. Her name was Lauren. And it just, man, it did something inside of me. Like there were a lot of churches at the time where she could go and maybe they'd be theologically on point, but she wouldn't understand anything. And they probably wouldn't mean to, but she wouldn't feel accepted. And then number two, there was a lot of churches with great bands and it was a cool vibe, but they weren't presenting the one thing that Lauren needed. And that was Jesus because Jesus is the only one that has the power to save. And I, I remember this as clear as, as anything, this vision of why can't we do both? Like, why can't we create a church that does both? That, that people who have known about Jesus all their life, maybe grew up in the church, can be challenged to grow in faith. And then people that don't know anything, that have a past, have a bad experience, they would wanna lean in and they would feel like the most welcoming and accessible place to anybody, anywhere. And at that point, in this little community right here within a few mile radius, there were 60,000 unchurched and unreached people. 
And I knew that our area did not need another church, but I did know that our area needed an alternative to church as usual. I felt like God wanted to do something through that. And you know what? At some level, like I think we were right. And we've seen God do so many incredible things of people giving the church saying one more shot. Many of those people, you know their stories, you invited them. Dads coming back to faith after previously wanting nothing to do with church or Jesus. Students who were drug here and then all of a sudden this change happens where they place their faith in Jesus or agnostics and atheists who wanted nothing to do with it. And finally, something just happens because of the environments that you're creating. And they're going, man, I've never experienced church like this and I wanna know more about the Jesus thing. And that has been our heartbeat from the very beginning. And we saw God, we've seen God do some incredible things to grow this gathering. All the way to fast forward up to these last couple years, um, in 2018, we really literally began to run out of space. I'm at this, our South Campus right now, and many of you guys, if you've attended here for a while, you know this. In fact, January of this last year of 2019, we were packed to the point of we had people in the lobby when we started the new year because we didn't have enough seats for them. Then in um, 2018, Horizon Christian Church became a part of our CC family, which was an amazing move of God, but our space issues only increased. And in fact, and this is kind of the magic number in church world, we were at over 80% capacity um, in uh, all of our services at optimal times, meaning the times when everybody wants to go to church um, on Sunday morning. And so many of you know this, but in January 2019, we vision cast to open our North Campus on Easter weekend, this past Easter, in order to create more seats at optimal times. And you guys, man, came around that in, in a huge way with huge support. And what we stated at the time was that our North and South Campuses were a temporary solution to the immediate need that we had for more space. And we had an immediate need. And we couldn't wait two years for a building project or 10, month, uh, 10 months for some other option. And so here's what I would say, though. Our long-term goal was not to be the same church in the same community with two different facilities across the road. Like, that was born out of necessity. So many of you know when we opened North and South Campus, um, we said that we would continue to investigate our long-term solution as a church because in January this last year, we didn't know what that was, and we had a lot of research um, still to, to play out. We did know that we had somewhere around 100 plus seats at our North Campus, but there was a lot of work that we had to do on that campus, and we did not know if it would be a long-term solution, meaning even long-term for a couple years. But since we've opened our North Campus in um, Easter, and this is a huge shout out to you guys, we've grown. Not just in overall attendance, but we have grown more than I've ever seen in our time as a church in leaders and bridge builders in every ministry across the board. And in fact, you guys should just put your hands together and give you a huge shout out for what you've done. Uh, many of you have, you went from South over to North to help launch that and it's worked. Like we didn't have 10 months to wait around because of where our growth was at. But over these almost 10 months, we've seen God move in an incredible way um, through your willingness to take a step of faith and create these campuses. And it's been incredible. And since opening North Campus on Easter, we've obviously had time to investigate our future options for more space in one location in our community, which ultimately was our goal. We're all about multi-campus for the future to continue to grow and multiply, but obviously we wanna be one church in our community serving together. And so here's where it comes down um, to our decision in terms of uh, where we believe that God's leading us, and it's this. We believe that our current North Campus is a long-term solution um, 
to our space issues as a church to continue to reach and be able to invite more people. And so Centerpoint Church will move to one campus on our current North Campus site starting on December the 22nd when we begin our Christmas Eve services, which we are incredibly excited about. And so here's the thing. We are going to go to three services at our current North Campus site on January the 5th at 8.15 a.m. And we'll tell you more about that later. If you have young kids like I do, that's the service for you. There's going to be incentives every week, like free hole-in-one donuts. But um, that's a great service to attend, 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m. And we can temporarily move from our current four services to three because we can add an additional 400 seats between all of our services. And so um, we will be able to bring that auditorium, which it's not right now, the full capacity to be able to continue to house our growth. And then we will be ready to add additional services, which no doubt um, we will have to. But at least currently, it gives us as many seats as we have right now through four services at optimal times. And then here's the big thing that I just want to ask you guys to pray about in, in terms of where God's leading us. We are going to look for the right buyer for our South Campus so that we can invest in the future of the church in our community. Like, listen, guys, we're not competing with the church. We're for the church. And we want to see God continue to multiply and move the influence of Centerpoint Church, which goes beyond just the four walls of our South Campus. And so we want to see God do something incredible with this campus. Um, that may be another church that we can help um, support, and it's going to use this facility to spread the gospel. It could mean that God wants to do something crazy, and right now we're leaving our options open a little bit, and that's why we want you to pray of, of maybe God funds um, this campus in order to uh, do what we need to do in the future, which would be about $3 million, but God absolutely can do that. God could do that today if he laid it on somebody's heart, but this would turn into a dream center to help local partner organizations and work with education and mentorship of kids and um, uh, work with homelessness. And so uh, we don't know what God wants to do, but that's definitely on the table. And we just want to pray big as a church for God to use this. This would not be a transactional thing, but we want to continue to see the legacy of what God's doing through Centerpoint move on this campus um, as God moves us. So here's the last thing. Later this spring, we're going to communicate plans and a timeline for the possible build out um, as we continue to look at a few other options. But we really believe um, that this is where God right now is leading us. And we know that in this next season, that campus can house our growth. And so the possible build out of a new auditorium on our current North Campus site to become our ultimate broadcast locations um, as we begin to plant other campuses and other areas in the future. And so we're excited about that as far as timelines and what that would look like and financing and all the questions that everybody wants to know. That's going to be later this spring um, where we're going to have a Vision Sunday around Easter, and we're going to give you that information about where um, and how we believe God's leading us forward. And let me just give you this real quick number, and I'm going to be done in just a second. If we grow the next four years the way we have the last four, from 2019 to 2023, if we grow the same rate that we did from 2015 to 2019, at that point in 2023, we will be around a church of 3,900 to 4,100 people, somewhere in that area. And we have obviously no idea what God's going to do, but we have to be ready. And we've already seen God do an incredible work over this last season. And we want to continue to see the gospel move forward. So as I wind this down real quick, because I know there are so many questions, and here's a couple that 
um, I would be asking, why didn't we move everyone to North Campus earlier this year? And I kind of answered this already, but we weren't sure if that was going to be a long-term solution. And we needed additional space right away. And that's what this provided us. Um, is this going to feel too big as a church? We're moving right now to a little bit a little bit bigger auditorium. We're talking about building more space in the future, which we're going to need. And so here's what I would just tell you. You're going to know all the same people. In fact, if you're at South Campus right now, as you move over and we're in one location, generally you kind of sit in the same place. All the people who are with you right now are going to gravitate to that same place, and you're going to see all those same people, whether um, it feels a little bit bigger or not. And then here's the reality. In one campus, even at the size that we are with multiple services, there's more community generated when we're all together. That's just true, right? Some of you think some people have left our church and they haven't. They're just going to another campus over the last 10 years. So it'll be, it'll kind of be like heaven. It'll be a huge reunion of people um, you didn't even know were still attending. And here's what I would tell you. Here's our strategy as a church. We are committed to a small church community as we grow larger. It's never going to be in competition with the gospel and reaching people. But we are all about making it personal and making this a community-driven church. So here's how that happens. We gather as a small church every week. Monday through Saturday, and these things called community groups. And then we come together as a large church to celebrate on Sunday. And that's the model of the church. So if you're not in a community group, now's the time. We break bread, we um, share together, we learn together, we pray together, we serve together. Like small church happens all week long. And then just like heaven is gonna be, we gather together to celebrate, to worship. Heaven's a big place. Lots of people are invited. That should be reflected on Sundays when we gather and invite other people in to go, you gotta check this out, even if you don't believe. And so that's what we wanna continue to do. So continue to be a small church, but you gotta take a step, get into community, and then gather with us on the weekends to celebrate as God continues to grow this gathering. And then last thing, um, for some of you, hey, I have a lot of memories attached to South Campus. If you're sitting in these seats right now, I so get it. For some of you, it's memories of you came back to faith here. For some of you, you wanted nothing to do with God when you walked in here and everything has changed for you. Others, you saw God restore a marriage, bring your adult kid back to Jesus. I get it. Um, but on the screen, you'll, you'll see this, a couple pictures. This first picture is me um, at Vacation Bible School, and I don't, I'm about 10 years old. Um, luckily, you can't see this real well. I'm obviously not Super excited to be there, rocking my buck teeth and um, spiked haircut. But um, these are some of my memories. These are how far back my memories go. In fact, they go back even further than this, um, of accepting Christ, of being baptized, of God's call on my life to even pastor. It's all happened through the context of this building, if some of you know the story. And so I, I understand it and I get it. And here's what I just want to say to you. The legacy of reaching people on this site, it's going to continue. It's going to multiply. But let's not let brick and mortar keep you and us from walking into all that God has for our future and seeing lives change forever. And we're still going to hold things on this site. Nothing's happening immediately. And so we're going to have some celebration gatherings and, and things after uh, December 15th. But um, let's not let that be a drawback. Because come on, here's why you guys come. You come for community. You come because this is, for some of you, been the most welcoming, accessible place you've ever been. You've come for the preaching of God's word. You come for worship. You come for the spirit of God to move through us. And he doesn't move through a building. He moves through people. And so we don't want any CC or left behind. And so let's 
do this together. And I believe the greatest days for our church are ahead. We're gonna see higher quality experience in every ministry because of how God has grown us even over these 10 months. There's gonna be a greater sense of community on one campus. There's gonna be a greater opportunity to reach more people in the future. And we're gonna have lower financial costs that just opens the door for God to do more. And here's what we need you to, to do. We just need you to pray. Pray that we continue to remember the why, why we're doing this that we would uh, really pray for this South Campus, that God would provide the right avenue for ministry here, the right group of people, the right sale, whatever he has for this, but it's a big deal to us. This is a sacred space in terms of what we believe God wants to do with it. And that um, you would continue to serve as a bridge builder. Don't think we don't need you. Because as we come together as one, we need you more than ever before because as things grow, as we have more people in one space, we need more bridge builders. We need lots of first impressions, people to keep greeting. We need a lot of small group leaders. And so do not stop. And then last thing, invest and invite. This is gonna be maybe the greatest time over these next few months leading up to Christmas Eve and then the first of the years we come together, the greatest time to invest and then invite some people around you to say, hey, come sit with me. Come check out what God's doing. And my prayer is that we would do that as a church. And so as I end this, listen, I think we've just begun. I think we have a massive God-ordained step in front of us for the future of seeing thousands of people come to know Jesus, not for the sake of the name of Centerpoint, but for the sake of the name of Jesus. And I just believe that um, there are gonna be so many that are gonna be impacted because of your commitment to see 60,000 plus people who don't know Jesus in our area come to life and freedom in Jesus. So come on, don't stop. Don't get seduced with brick and mortar and come with us in terms of what God wants to do because we are needed in our community and there are a bunch of people who've walked away and they need an alternative to church as usual and God has called us to be that in our community. So let's do this, Center Point. Let's do this. And so would you guys just stand with me um, as we just pray over uh, what God has for us with this move um, as the alarm on my phone goes off and... Um, Let's just pray that we would be sensitive to his calling and his leading. And as we come together on the 22nd, our Christmas Eve service and heading into the year, we're gonna see so many people come to life and freedom in Jesus. And so all over the house, both locations standing with me, would you just pray, Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much that you have led and directed our church in such an extraordinary way. And we pray um, that you would continue to lead us in the days ahead as one church, as we gather together to make your name famous. And I pray as we move forward with what you have for us, that God, we would just be faithful to keep our focus on the why. I pray that Lord, even for some of us, there's so much emotion and memory tied up with with this space that we're at right now, I pray that, Lord, we would remember well, we'd honor what you've done, but Lord, it would not hinder what you wanna do in the future. And so we're just asking that you would do immeasurably more than we can even ask, think, or imagine in the days ahead. And we ask this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Would you guys be seated at both campuses? And are you guys ready to move into part three of Blood and Thunder? We ready to go? Um, here's what we've been talking about for a couple weeks, um, and I'm just going to make a quick transition, and we're going to go as quick as we can, but we're answering really this question. What do you want God to do in your life? Like for some of us, it's immediate. I just want to get a job. I want to get my kids out of the house. I want to make it through this season. Um, I want this business to take off. I want to retire. 
But like, what, what do you really want for, for your life? And here's where this is a really huge question if you're a Jesus follower. All those things I just mentioned are not bad things, but that's not the essence of life. Like, what do you wanna see God do that's beyond just the day-to-day where you get at the end of your life and you've got some things that God did, some ways that God moves that could only be attributed to God's power and God's might. Like, what do you really want God to do in your life? And here's what we said in the series. It takes sacrifice and it takes power. It takes sacrifice and power. All throughout the scripture, God's power is pictured by thunder and sacrifice is pictured by blood. That it requires our sacrifice, our blood, our giving of our lives, and it requires God's thunder, God's power, and God's might. And here's the thing, you see this all throughout scripture. The catalyst to see a move of God, it starts with our sacrifice that ultimately unleashes God's power. And there's no place where that's more relevant and then the area of what we're talking about, which is generosity, finances, our money, for two reasons. Because it's the thing that competes for our devotion more than anything else. But then number two, it's the thing that unleashes God's power because it's at the heart of the most powerful application of what Jesus said matters most. And you know what Jesus said matters most? You, me. As Jesus wound down his ministry, he said, if you guys forget everything else, this is what it means to follow me. I want you to love me by loving other people around you. And so we said in part one that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, you can ignore all of this, but if you're a follower of Jesus, it's why we should live lives where we do what is just, not just what we can justify. And in the first century, that kind of thinking, it literally, it changed the world. And so every year around this time, we try to reset and focus on this. And so on December the 8th, we're doing our For Our City offering and we are raising $30,000 and 20,000 of that is gonna go to our local partners. All those that are fighting homelessness, helping with education, rehabilitation, crisis pregnancy. There's so many different things that you can check out on our website, but 20,000 goes away to those organizations because we've gone and asked them, listen, what do you need for us to do. And they gave us a specific list of things they wanted us to purchase. And so we're going to do that as a church. And then 10,000 of that money is going to go directly over and above regular operations to our CC Kids Ministry to make um, some upgrades because we want to invest in the next generation. And here's what we've been called to do as a church. We've been called to be generous by investing in the physical needs of our community and by investing in the spiritual needs of our community through the local church, through our adult ministries and kids ministries, because the church is the hope of the world to connect people to Jesus. And so our hope is that we would come strong on December the 8th to give our money away, to be generous in a big way because of what God's gonna do in us and what God's gonna do in our community. And let me tell you about one thing as part of this whole campaign. Family Promise on December the 8th through the 14th, um, we are actually housing Um, homeless on our North Campus site for that week, homeless with kids, so it's families, and they're going through their program and rehabilitation, education is a part of it, but we also, with a group of churches, provide housing for a period of time. So we get the chance to be a part of that And so we need people to sign up to help with various things to help serve those families, whether it's physically with food, other areas, but it requires a training. So there's a training today, um, uh, November 17th at our North Campus and our Next Steps room, just follow the signs. And then there's a training next week on our South Campus, just follow the Next Step signs. And uh, if you wanna be a part of that, uh, go check those out. But all of the information is at centerpointfl.org forward slash generosity, or go to our app, click connect for our city. But our hope is that on December 8th, we would just come strong. 
And we don't want this to be a seasonal thing. We want this to begin to be a ripple effect that moves through our church. And ultimately, we see a move of God through how generous we are. So here's what I wanna talk about today, and then we'll wind this down. Here's the thing, like for all of us, here's what I wanna ask you to do as we get toward the end of this message. I wanna ask you, and this is gonna be more difficult for some than others, so I get it, but I'm gonna ask you to flip the script on your financial world. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, what I'm about to say again, you can ignore all of this. You don't have to do any of this because you never signed up to the Jesus thing. And, and if, you know, if you're not a Jesus follower, what I'm about to talk about, you may go, okay, th this is why I'm not. I'm glad I'm not, so whatever. But here's the thing. You don't have to do a thing that I say. So just chill. You can listen and go, eh, I'm not gonna do any of that. But I'm just telling you, this one idea that I'm about to talk about has the power to change everything. So he, here's the big idea I wanna look at today. And as soon as you mention these couple words, everybody gets uncomfortable, but just go with me. But ultimately, your self-control in your life and in my life is gonna determine what gets control. And specifically in your financial world, your self-control is gonna determine what gets control of your life. And here's how I know this. If you and I were to sit down with people, like half of the people in the world, and we were to explain the financial pressure that we feel with all that we have, they would look at us like we were insane. You know what I'm talking about? Because they would look at how much financial pressure we feel up against how much money we make, and they would look at us like we are absolutely crazy. Because it's not so much how much we have or make, it's what we do with it. And for all of us, regardless of where we're at on the scale, because we have no margin, I mean, not all of us, but some of us, we constantly feel financial pressure. And yet half of the world would look at us and go, if I had what you had, all of my dreams would come true tomorrow. And they would look at us like we are absolutely nuts. And we look around at where we're at because there's always somebody ahead. And we go, if I just had more money. And yet, as we're gonna look at, Jesus would look at us and say, if you just had more self-control, because your self-control it really in every area of your life ultimately is going to determine who or what gets control. And here's the thing, your money is always a better master than it is a servant. And when you get this in your area of life, in the area of your finances, you tell your money where to go and not the other way around. And it's always a better servant than it is a master in our life. Now, all throughout scripture, this is where you see this whole idea of your faith and your finances intersecting. And again, if you, it's gonna be difficult, but if you are willing to follow Jesus into this, I'm telling you, there may not be a subject that has the power to change your life like this. It's why Jesus spent more time talking about this, about money than he did about heaven. And the reality is we are so rooted to here and now for some of us, there's a more emotional whatever around no money in the bank account than there is around the fact that if we found out there was no heaven. Like no money in the bank account, we're like freaking out. Are you kidding me? No heaven. You're like, ah, well, you know, hopefully I'm not gonna die soon. Like it's so emotional for us. And so Jesus comes along and talks about these issues and introduces this tension. And then Paul comes along in the New Testament and writes about it. And he says this in Galatians 5, 16, as he's introducing this whole dynamic between your faith and the stuff that God's given you. And he says this, so I say to you, specifically if you're a follower of Jesus, walk by the spirit 
And this is weird if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're investigating this, but when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that he died for all your sins, that he rose again, that you can't earn your way to God, but instead what Jesus has done for you is everything. And so you place your trust in what he did for you. The scripture says that literally the spirit of God in some weird way, mystical way, comes and indwells you, is inside of you. And the moment you decide to trust Jesus and follow Jesus, there's this conscience thing that just ramps up. And that's the spirit of God. And the more you say yes to it, the more you don't stiff arm it, the more it grows and it will not leave you alone. And it'll constantly prompt you in directions to go, hey, do this, go this way, pay attention to this. And you have the opportunity whether you are going to listen to that or not. And so Paul says this, listen, this is what I'm about to list. This is the direction that the spirit of God prompts your life. And what he's about to lay out is just, even if you're not a, a person that follows Jesus yet, this is like, hey, this is what you want your mother-in-law to be. This is what you want your spouse to be. This is what you want your ex to be. In fact, the things that Paul mentions, if your ex would have done these things, they maybe wouldn't be your ex. So here's what Paul says. This is the direction God's spirit prompts you. But the fruit of the spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And here's our, our words, self-control. That the Holy Spirit, when you decide to follow Jesus, always prompts you in the direction of self-control. And here's why. Because every single one of those things that Paul just listed, every one of those wars against self-control. And in fact, your natural appetites war against every one of those attributes that Paul just listed, like pleasure, sex, food, uh, the desire and the, the appetite for more stuff and more security. And, and by themselves, they're not wrong, but they're appetites that they can go off the rails. And as you feed them, they grow. And Paul's going, listen, your natural appetites war against every single one of those things. So you shouldn't be surprised if you have a God who loves you and you do and wants the best for you. And he does that. He would not want you to be controlled by your appetites. But here's the reality for those of you listening um, via podcast, radio, you're in the house today. Some of you have spent large amounts of money trying to kind of unwind and rehabilitate from appetites that got to a place where they controlled and dominated your life. And Jesus says to you, listen, you already have a master. You don't have to be mastered by these appetites. There is a better way. And so last week in the, the writings that we looked at from Luke, Luke, uh, as he's writing about what Jesus said, Jesus gives some brilliant insight. And in the context of what we looked at last week, there's this verse that starts to tie all of this together in Luke 16, 13. And this is Jesus speaking when he says this, no one, nobody, no person can serve two masters. And in the Greek, the word's kurios, and it literally means one in charge of by virtue of ownership. And immediately when you're reading those verses, like in the West, we're like, well, I don't have an owner. And Jesus is like, well, hang on. Like, we'll see. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and, and if you didn't know the end of the verse, you'd be like the devil, Satan. And yet this is the thing that God elevates because he knows the power that it has the potential to have in our life. You cannot serve both God and what? You cannot serve both God and money, meaning, you cannot serve both God and the pursuit of stuff or the acquisition of stuff that you think is gonna bring you security, that's gonna bring you pleasure, that's gonna bring you fulfillment, that is going to be enough for your life. And in fact, here's the thing that you see Jesus say 
all over the New Testament, and it's shocking if you haven't heard it, that the chief competitor for your heart, the chief competitor for your devotion is your money. So here's really the question for us. Does money have you or do you have money? Like, does money have you or do you have money? And for a lot of us, because we always see ourselves in kind of the scale of all these people who have more, we're like, well, I don't really know. Like, I don't know if money has me because I don't know enough. I don't have enough to know if money would ever have me. Like, I love to sign up and take the test of, you know, whether I'm going to allow money to have too, too big a place in my life, but I, I just don't have enough. And yet you have to ask the question, okay, so then who is Jesus talking to? Like, who is Jesus referencing? Could it be that Jesus is like referencing people who buy stuff on Amazon Prime and it shows up on their doorstep and they get home and they can't remember what that stuff was and they don't know when they ordered it and it's kind of Christmas every day and it's like, well, what did you get yourself? I, I don't know, but I bought it and I can't remember what I bought, but here it is and it's just like there's a new surprise every other day on my doorstep. Like, could it be possible that that's who Jesus is talking to? Could Jesus be talking to people who actually have the ability to build houses for their cars and the rest of the world or half the world would go, that's amazing. I would live in that. You have a house for your car with an automatic door that opens and shuts. Like, could Jesus be talking to people who drink per, or who dump perfectly good drinking water all over their lawn just so their grass can be greener? Like, seriously, like, who's Jesus talking to? And the reality is Jesus is talking to everybody. And he's especially talking to us who are wealthier than about half of the world or more than half of the world. And, and he would say this, listen, that no matter what you make, everyone is, is at risk at making money their ultimate pursuit or ultimate concern, which ultimately makes it ultimate. And here's the thing, think about this. Isn't it weird how easy it is for some of us, not all of us, but for some of us to go, man, I'm carrying guilt and shame and Jesus, I just wanna surrender all of that to you because I know I can't make up for my past. And so I'm asking you to release me from all this crap that I'm carrying. And we just surrender it to God. For others of us, we walk through seasons that seem like hell and stuff is flying out of control. Somebody's walking through a diagnosis. We've lost somebody close to us and we're going, God, you are the only thing that I've got. And I don't know why you would allow this to happen, but I'm bowing my knee to you and I need you to help me through this season. And we surrender those seasons to God to go, God, we just need your help. Some of you pray, even if you don't believe in a God, you're like, to whom it may concern when things start to fly out of control because you just feel like you should do something even if you're not sure about God. Others of us, we've even trusted God with our eternity, knowing the only way to God is not to be able to make up for what we've done because we're never gonna be able to do that, but to trust what God's done through Jesus. And so we go, God, I know that there's more to this life. And so I'm trusting you, not just with here and now, but all of my eternity. And my point is just this, isn't it crazy how easy it is to trust God with our shame and our guilt and our baggage from the past, trust him, with those seasons where it feels like it's hell that we're walking through and, and to even to trust him with all of our eternity and not be able to trust him with our stuff and with our money. And Jesus says to all of us, listen, come on, don't play. Don't deceive yourself. Like, show me the money. Actually, Jesus didn't say that. But it, I, I, in fact, Jesus would say, I'm not even after your money. I'm after you. And I know the place that this can ultimately get in your heart and in terms of your devotion. And Jesus would say, if you haven't surrendered what you have, you haven't really surrendered. And if you haven't given me access to what you have, you haven't really given me access 
to your life. And here's the thing. All that kind of creates a tension, right? Because you go, okay, if that's true and I don't want to be owned by my stuff and I don't want to be controlled by my appetites, like what's the way forward? What's next? And Jesus addresses this. Here's what he says in Matthew 6.33. Here is the invitation from Jesus. And some of these words are, are so famous, but don't miss them. He says this, but seek first. Meaning, so that you don't get seduced by more, better, enough, security, pleasure, fulfillment, to where money and stuff starts to take that place in your life. He says, but seek first. Meaning, it's not about either or. It's simply about priority. And then here's what he says. Here's the invitation. But seek first Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' righteousness. And here's the thing. Jesus' kingdom was an other's first kingdom. And this is so powerful. As you watch Jesus on planet earth, he will tell you everything you need to know about what it means to pursue his righteousness, about what it means to be right with God and to live a life that's righteous. If you wanna know what that looks like, watch what Jesus did on planet earth. And here's what Jesus did. He selflessly and courageously gave up his life for other people. In fact, he selflessly and courageously gave up his life for you. And he says to all of us, hey, if you're gonna follow me, I'm inviting you into an other's first kingdom where you don't go first, you go last. And when you do, you will find more peace, more fulfillment, more pleasure, more meaning than you will find any other way. And in fact, your life will become a means to an end. But it is an other's first kingdom that I'm inviting you into. It's hard to get the emotion as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and Jesus knows he's about to die. Like he doesn't go there and get surprised. Like he's going to Jerusalem knowing that he's about to give up his life. And in Mark 10 and several other gospel writers talk about this. As Jesus is leading his guys, his guys are behind him and they're all arguing. They're like, hey, who's gonna be second? Who's gonna be third when Jesus sets up his kingdom? Because they're waiting for Jesus to set up what they believe is gonna be an earthly political kingdom. They were seduced into this idea that Jesus is there for power. And once Jesus gets the power, they're gonna be in his cabinet and they want some of that power. They can't wait for Jesus to overthrow Rome and become the political leader that they are waiting for. And so there they are behind Jesus like, hey, who's gonna be second? Who's gonna be third? And Jesus hears them talking about this. And he turns around and basically says, hey, Andrew, you, you wanna be great? And Andrew's like, yeah, yeah, no, I do. Hey, hey Peter. You wanna be great? And Peter's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about, right? And John, yeah, that's, we're, we're talking about who's gonna get to be second and third in your kingdom because we wanna be great. And Jesus says to them, he couldn't be more clear. If you wanna be great in my kingdom, it is an other's first kingdom. And Andrew, Peter, John, that means you don't go first, you go last. Like, hey, John, Peter, you know how everybody in our culture who gets power and gets influence, they leverage it for the sake of themselves. They get wealth, they leverage wealth for the sake of themselves. And Peter and Andrew and John are like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the point. That's why we wanna be a part of this. We want the benefits that come from you getting into power. And Jesus just looks them down eyeball to eyeball. And it's so powerful and the emotion was so thick. And he says to them, listen, guys, not so with you, not in my kingdom, not in my movement, not with what I'm about to create for the world. It is an other's first kingdom. And if you wanna be great, you gotta flip the script. 
And then he shuts all the talk down. And he says this in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man, Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for a whole lot of people. And eventually Jesus gets into Jerusalem. You maybe know the story, right? And he's in this upper room apartment with all of his guys, his 12 disciples, and he's hours away from giving his life up. And they're in the room and Jesus gets up from the table and he takes off his robe and ties it around his waist, a sign of his rabbinical authority and the fact that he was setting it aside. And then he gets down on his hands and knees and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. And what the disciples were actually thinking immediately was, because generally you contracted this work out, they're like, are you, dang it, are you kidding me? We didn't get anybody, we didn't hire anybody to wash Jesus' feet or wash the feet of the guys in the room. Like, I can't believe, John, you were supposed to do this. Why did you guys forget that? And yet Jesus just keeps going and he washes the feet of the disciples and it takes a long time to wash the feet of 12 dudes. And as Jesus is doing it, the room gets silent. And eventually Jesus gets done and gets up from the t- from around the table and puts his robe back on. And then he says to them this in John 13, 13. Hey, you guys call me teacher and Lord? And you're right, that's who I am. But now I, your Lord and teacher, now that I've washed your feet, I want you to wash one another's feet because I've set for you an example and I want you to do as I have done. And then in verse 16, because no servant is greater than his master. Jesus is going, listen, I flipped the script, guys, on the kingdoms of this world. And if you're going to join my kingdom, you are joining an other's first kingdom. And Jesus in that room is like, guys, you up for that? And they were. And shortly after this, they watched the king, Jesus, give his life for the subjects in the world would never be the same again. And he invited them and he invites us to say, listen, I want you to join my kingdom. I want you to see the world the way I see the world. I want you to see people the way I see people. I want you to flip the script on everything in your life because this is an other's first kingdom. And by the way, everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. But here's the thing, here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not like none of that stuff matters. Like he gets the real world. Like you, you have a job. You've got a career that you gotta pursue. You got kids, you gotta get through school. You've, you've got stuff that you've gotta pay attention to. You gotta eat and, and sleep indoors. Like Jesus is not saying that it's at the exclusion of all of those things. So he says this in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' righteousness. And then Jesus would say, because I'm for you and because I love you. And all these things, meaning, All the stuff that you worry about, all the stuff that you obsess about will be given to you as well. Because it's not either or, it's one and two. I want you to prioritize because somebody's kingdom has to come first. And this is an other's first kingdom that I am inviting you into. And Jesus is so brilliant because he knows what many of us have already figured out. And this is his point. When you put you first, ultimately you go last. 
When you put you first in your life, ultimately you come in last because when you put yourself first over time, it is hard to say no to you and eventually you get mastered by your appetites and Jesus is like, there's a better way. I don't want you to be mastered. I don't want you to be controlled in any area of your life. And the way that you avoid that is you begin to put you second. You begin to put others first. You begin to flip the script because Jesus would say this, listen, I created you and I have something better for you. And you were created to seek your creator first. And when you don't, your life is disoriented. Everything is out of whack. And so here's the question that you got to ask, and I'm going to start to wind this down over the next few minutes. But what, like, what do you do with that? Like, like what's, what's the way forward? How do you flip the script? How do you take that seriously to where, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to be generous. Jesus, I don't want my appetites to control my life. I don't want to be controlled by my stuff. I want to surrender. I want to sacrifice. I want to experience your power. Like, what does that look like? Because here's how life looks like for most of the world as it regards to our stuff our living, our finances, the stuff that God's placed in our hands. Generally, the way the world lives is me first living. We live first, we do what we wanna do, we get what we wanna get, we save second, and then we live or we give third. We live first, we save second, we give third. Basically, most of the world, especially where we live in the West, it is me first living and leftover giving. That's how most of the world operates. And here's the thing Jesus is saying, if you have begun to follow him or if you decide to follow him, come on. You're a follower of Jesus. You are made in the image of God. You have been called to follow and serve your creator and you've been given a divine destiny. Why would you do and live the way everybody else lives? Why, why would you do what everybody else does? To quote Craig Rochelle, if you want the life that everybody else has, do what everybody else does. But if you want to live an extraordinary life that few people live, do what few people are willing to do. And Jesus is going, if you wanna follow me into this because I have more for your life and what I have is better, you have got to flip the script. And this is what it looks like in your financial world. You need to do what very few people are willing to do. It's an other's first kingdom. This is what seek ye first living looks like. I want you to give first. I want you to save second. And I want you to live on the rest. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I know not many people are doing that. I'm inviting you into something different. I want you to give first. I want you to save second. And I want you to live on the rest. And it will be a tangible, verifiable evidence that Jesus is the Lord and the master of your life. And Jesus unapologetically and somewhat in your face is like, listen, you can't avoid this. There's a connection in terms of how you live and what you prioritize between your heart and your devotion, and whether you're really following me. Like, here's the reality. Telling your money where to go is proof that it is not running the show, that it is not controlling your life. And listen, some of you are not gonna believe this, but I'm just telling you. For some of you, if you were to take this seriously, if you were to do this, and listen, you don't have to. If you're not a Jesus follower, again, you can ignore all of this. But if you decide to take this seriously, it will be a keystone habit in your life. 
And I don't know if you've ever heard of a keystone habit, but it's basically this. It's a bunch of things that seem unrelated and disconnected, but when you do one thing, it has a catalytic and ripple effect on everything else in your life. And that's exactly what this will do. When you decide to flip the script and when you decide to get this right, it literally directs the rest of your life. There's other things that you have been struggling with where the chains will begin to break and you will begin to experience intimacy and power from your heavenly father and in relationship with Jesus that you've never felt before. And nobody ever believes this because we see money as such a outside of spiritual, some, you know, just this thing on the side that we're going to give God some of it and not realizing it's a part of the surrender of our heart and our life. And when we are willing to put him first in this area, it is an invitation for him to work in every other area of our life. And when you surrender it, I'm telling you, it is an invitation for God to begin to do stuff in other parts of your life that you've never seen him do before. Jesus is so clear. The litmus test of your devotion to God is your willingness to put him and to put others first, not include them, but put them first in this arena of your life, in the area of your stuff, your finances, and your money. So can I challenge you to do three, two things, then we're gonna be done? I wanna challenge you to do two things for two months, that's it. Two things for two months. The first thing I wanna challenge you to do is this. I want, you to, I want to challenge you to choose a percentage of your income and give it away as soon as you get paid. Whether that's a weekly paycheck, bi-weekly, whether it's a bonus, it's coming from somewhere else, but as soon as you get it, you decide to give a percentage away. And here's what I'd say. Choose a percentage where you feel it because this is about what God wants to do in your heart. So 0.0001%, that's not gonna do anything. Do something that's gonna stretch you and you feel. And here's what I believe the biblical mandate is, but you don't have to follow this. I believe all throughout scripture, you see this. It's local church first. You invest in this thing that is the hope of the world in communities when it's on mission to lead people to Jesus. And so for me, for my family, me and my wife, we give to the local church first. We choose a percentage and then we give over and above as we have it in other areas where God places needs on our heart. But listen, if you don't believe me or you think I'm after your money or Jesus after your money, give it somewhere else, give it to another church and you can be like, oh, I showed you, you showed me, you got me. It's not about your money. I'm telling you, it's about your heart. But God does want to do something in you, through your money, in your local community and through your church. But more importantly than that, God wants to change your heart. So choose a percentage for two months, choose it to where you feel it and give it away. And then here's the second thing. And I think this might be more than anything else, the window to open the door to what God wants to do that may give you some awareness about you that you didn't previously have. But I want you to do this for two months. Pay attention to the internal tension that this creates. Like some of you right now, like you just need to ask yourself the question, why am I so mad about this? Why is there so much emotion around this? Why do I feel so much angst around this? Because when you begin to answer that question, what you might discover is exactly what Jesus said that it has nothing to do with your money and it has everything to do with your devotion and your surrender and your heart and who is master and Lord of your life. And so I want you to pay attention to the center of your resistance. And the reality is just this. Listen, if you pick a percentage for two months, if you would just pay attention to the tension that you feel, here's what you may begin to find is that your money is a better servant than it is a master. And I'm just telling you, I'm so great, great, <clears throat> grateful. I've said this before that my parents taught me this. 
I'm so grateful that I get to pass this along to my kids. Not, not because I want the church to get my kids money, but I don't want money to get my kids. I want them to live free. I want, to, I want them to know what it looks like to surrender every area of their life to their heavenly father. I want them to live a life where they see God move and bring power in ways that do not happen ordinarily, but because they're willing to go, God, I give you everything. They watch God move greatly on their behalf. So listen, as Jesus followers, here's what I just wanna say to you in love. Do not kid yourself. If Jesus is not first in your finances, he isn't first. You're not a follower. You're a user. And Judas tried that. So, so here's Jesus' words. No one can serve two masters. Either you're gonna hate one and you're gonna love the other, or you're gonna be devoted to the one and you're gonna despise the other one. You cannot serve both God and not that money's wrong. Money should not make you feel guilty, just responsible. More money should not make you feel guilty, but you cannot serve God in this pursuit of, I just need more stuff. I need to put me first. I need to save my way to security in the future. I'm gonna live a life of me first and then leftover giving. You cannot serve both God and your pursuit and your acquisition of stuff. And when you realize that and you're willing to surrender at this area of your life, you maybe will begin to realize what happens when you are willing to give all of you to all of him and legitimately go, God, I want to begin to live a life of seek ye first, not in areas that I pick and choose, but in every area of my life and starting in this area that is the most difficult to surrender, your will be done. And I'm just telling you, seek ye first living changed the world once. And it has the power to change the world again. It certainly could change your life. It certainly could change our city. It certainly could be an invitation for God to create a movement through our little church called Centerpoint that could turn a city and a county and beyond upside down. Because we serve a resurrected Jesus who laid everything on the line and gave up his life. And he says, I want you to follow me into that kind of others first kingdom. Come on. Would you guys just stand with me at both of our campuses? And I just wanna pray for you as we close. Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you so much for your insight into your word. And Lord, the implications that it has on us here and now 2000 years later. And I just pray right now, wherever we're at, and it's all over the map. Some of us, it creates so much emotion because we've experienced some things that have been done in Jesus' name around the topic of money and finances that have been anything but what Jesus would approve of. And so I just pray that you would kind of meet them there. Uh, Lord, I pray for others of us where there's just this area where it's so difficult to surrender that right now you would begin to speak into that. You would begin to give us the courage to be able to open our hands and trust and surrender to you where it's most difficult. And Lord, I pray for us as a church I pray on December 8th that we would come strong 
as a church to be generous in, in raising this $30,000 and giving money away to our community. But I pray that, that beyond just a once a year event, that, that we would begin to adopt the life rhythm that we're talking about here, that we would live a life of generosity. And God, you'd begin to do something at the deepest level of our heart as we surrender to you as our master and our Lord. And my hope and prayer for us as a church is God, that you would ignite revival as we surrender to you in this area. And we pray this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.